Episode 55 of Brew Bloods, and we're taking on the Airhemlig IPA from Brewski, a Swedish brewery that's shrouded in mystery. Plus, we discuss a burgeoning style known as a Midwestern IPA, and we tell you all about the grape line in Europe. So saddle up, beer buddies. This is Brew Bloods. Drink beer. Think beer. You're listening to Brew Bloods. A bottle of beer contains more philosophy than all the books in the world. That from famous scientist Louis Pasteur. Scientist? Scientist. That's the official pronunciation. It's Latin. As, was, he, as he's a professor, or at least he was, and doctor, you pronounce it scientist. So you're reading uh, your bottle of pasteurized milk today, the vitamin D that you always drink every morning, and yes. then you're like, I'm just going to associate this fake quote with this guy. I drink... I don't drink really milk. I just drink an entire two liter of vitamin D, pure vitamin D. Sure. That, uh, like, branded by Louis Pasteur for some reason. Yeah, it's Louis Pasteur's bottle of, bottle O vitamin D. <laughs> Daily bottle O vitamin D. Actually, it's, it's really technically bottle O VD. So it could be confused. That's it has true. both vitamin D and actual venereal disease. You may be getting venereal disease. You don't know. Uh, maybe, though, there's no doubt about it. Exactly. It's exactly yeah. what I was looking for was a bottle of uh, VD. <laughs> and not Veterans Day. Right. And not Victory Day. But pure venereal disease. That sounds great. Welcome to episode 55 of Brew Bloods. I'm joined by the professor of stuff over there. I'm professor of things. My name's Mark. That's Dustin. Across the table, I still can't see his face, and that's probably a good thing. Now, those things are not uh, how to actually optimize a podcast and audio quality, but we're trying, and... uh Sorry if we come off a little frustrated today. Yeah, we're having audio all, audio issues all over the place. We're having all kinds of audio issues. So if it sounds just, terrible, I apologize. Just for a little inside baseball again there. But uh, let's forget. Why can't our, you go inside anything else? Why is it always inside baseball? Because nothing else has an inside. Everything else is outside. Everything else is just out there for you to see. Uh, unless you're like that uh, that college football broadcaster, you go from the inside to the outside. I forget his name right now. Oh, okay, the broadcaster professional. UK. Professional football uh, yeah. broadcaster Phil Sims. Yes, yes, Phil Sims. Inside <laughs> to the outside. Yes. At any rate, let's get to some brews in the news quickly because we have just enough time for some brews in the news. Again, um, stolen. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, how do you feel about Midwest IPAs? Are you even familiar with them? This is from uh, a story from our old listener Nikki Bai. When I uh, woke up this morning, I did not know I was going to get asked that today. The, I, the feelings about Midwest IPAs. I gotta be honest with you, didn't even know Midwest IPAs were a thing, but uh, apparently they are an up-and-coming uh, genre within the beer community. There, We have the West Coast IPA, which is very hop-forward. We have the East Coast IPA, which is a little bit sweeter and earthier and uses European hops. The Midwest, it's made out of grasslands of buffalo. And corn. Corn? Corn. Schmergen. Corn is the uh, Celtic... Punk, uh, rock band version of our old favorite corn. I figure you were trying to do your Swedish chef impersonation of the, the, yeah, the Swedish version. Since corn. we're doing a Swedish beer today. Apparently, they're they're an up and coming thing. I mean, they're apparently they're. I didn't even know these beers were technically Midwest IPAs, but uh, your Bell's Two Hearted, your Goose Island IPA, and the, the IPA. Uh, IPA. My accent is all over the map. I <laughs> I really need to get back to work with my vocal coach, my yes. accent, my dialogue coach. That's a thing he doesn't know either. Is how to stay in one dialect. I do, I do not know what the what accent to stay in. I don't even know like, what it's. Like, I don't know like what that was like. Four is. accents together in one <laughs> sentence. And uh, founder founder Centennial IPA is also a Midwest IPA. And, and if really that's true, then I do like mid, uh, Midwest IPAs. Apparently, you do. Uh, and I think Two Hearted is great too. Yeah, and we should be hopefully seeing that in 2017. They Two, get, in addition to the centennial from Founders. Yeah. Let me clarify that. So this is apparently it's an up-and-coming genre, and it was uh, 
there was a long article on the uh, Craft Beer and Brewing magazine and sent to us by Nikki Bai. And apparently the characteristics of a Midwestern IPA is that it has depth and complexity, but it does a better job of balancing hops and malt. You'll get more malt, and it's not always pale malt, which is typically used in an IPA. They also, they'll use West Coast hops, but they'll use a lot more malt and not necessarily the pale malt that you would typically use in an IPA. And they strive more for balance than kind of being aggressive, aggressive. See, those are the kind of articles that you or I could read and really enjoy. Uh, if we gave that to the wife, uh, either wife, uh, they, their eyes would gloss over and they would pass out. I would out. say, what, uh, which line do you think they would start to glaze over? Would it be beer article? That's all you have to say. <laughs> the title of uh, the Middleway Midwest IPAs? Oh, that, yeah, done. Already done. Yeah, they, they, would, they would just be passing out like Glenn Beck. <laughs> exactly. Well, it wasn't him, technically. Uh, Todd Hogg, the I, I'm gonna how Todd Hogg, Todd Hogg, director of brewing operations at Minnesota-based Surly Brewing Company, said, <laughs> and director of car sales. <laughs> what we see here tends to fall along a more narrow bandwidth, but it's way more solid. We may be a few years behind on some of the food and beverage trends as a result, but we have a better foundation for what good food and beer means, and for the right reasons, not just because they're popular or what you're supposed to be doing. So, kind of a knock on. Especially right. the West Coast scene, I would assume, is primarily who's directing his vitriol towards. Probably so. I will say when you include the word bandwidth, I start to kind of kind of gloss over. Just, just uh, It's just everything goes into a haze, and I just kind of start spinners, looking up in the air. Yeah, and, yeah. just passing out. <laughs> just lay your head down on a velvet pillow. Exactly. Yeah, the apparently it's it's really just striving for balance, and they don't try to be aggressive like you do in the West Coast, and not necessarily adhere, adhering to tradition like they do more on the East Coast. So it's kind of an interesting thing, but it seems like it's one of those that would be really hard to define because... Unless it was produced in the Midwest. Yeah. Well, yes, I know. But I'm saying, let's say that someone from... No, I know. I'm saying that seems to be the defining characteristic. Is that it just... And then a little bit more malt. Yeah. I I would think that if, let's say, I were in New Mexico trying to make a Midwestern IPA, it seems like it would be really hard to define that. Because they use West Coast hops and they... I don't know. I it's it seems I like it's agree. just a regional I, thing. I, I kind of think if you drank a a Founders Centennial IPA and then you went and drank something like a I don't know probably something similar to a Lagunitas IPA or something like that. They are different, but I mean maybe something more hot forward than a Lagunitas. Some other West Coast you know stand like maybe not as far as some of the things like Green Flash does, but you know some of the standard West Coast IPAs. I bet you'd yeah. be like. Okay, well, these all taste like Centennial Hopped IPAs. I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's probably, having had several of those and definitely have, uh, having had several Centennial IPAs in my life, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know that I would say, man, that you can really taste the Midwest malt in this one. <laughs> yeah. Well, Eric Bean, the owner and brewmaster at uh, Ohio's Columbus Brewing Company, says that they're trying to achieve balance and they're more concerned with their what their customers want to drink more than just winning medals. He said, quote, to be honest, our IPA is never going to win GABF IPIs. Gold, IPI, in the IPI category. We know what's going on on a national level, and we're not so concerned with that. Our IPI is more consumer-driven, what we think our consumer want, and what we want to be able to have in an everyday drinking beer. What we think our consumer want. Our consumer wants. Yeah, I think there might have been a typo in there. Oh, okay. Or I, I, me just misreading, of course. And I don't know what accent that was. I did. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> This is the nondescript accent show. Really, if we'd read our scripts beforehand for the show, <laughs> that would have helped things. We can really nail down the accent. We can do some scene work, some rehearsals. <laughs> They're so random and all over the place. Dustin was so high when he rolled in today, we just decided to drop all rehearsals. So Exactly. He was 
just smacked up on LSD and heroin and it, it was kind of like I've heard that uh, last episode of uh, Vinyl was. I haven't watched that terrible show, but I heard that uh, you know to get on stage they had to give him just a line of coke. That's pretty much what happened <laughs> yeah. right before this episode. I don't think I'll be watching that show. It was like two seconds ahead of time. Hit the line. Hit the theme. That's right. Let's go. So that's what you got going on now. He just did a he did an entire line of coke that was the the width of this desk. Right. Which, that doesn't really make any sense to anyone that hasn't seen the studio, which is everyone. And then he butt-chugged the founder's curmudgeon. They don't really know what the width of this desk <laughs> well, is. No, no, they don't. <laughs> just imagine a desk, and he did one the length of that. Not like a little school desk. like Not one of those where you just have like the right-hand writing ability <laughs> yeah. on the school desk. No, it's, no. It, it's a full... It's a proper desk. Large CEO-style desk. Yes. The only way that Mark will tolerate. <laughs> and then he butt-chugged a, a curmudgeon. Well, you know. Unfortunately, I had to help him with that, so... True. I had, I had to squeeze it in. <laughs> <laughs> so, when it came back out, you drank it, though. That was the weird thing. <laughs> well, there were a little bit of drops in there, and, the, and I had to, you know, give it a nice rim job. Yeah, you know. But that's that's I, all. I had for to get the here. remnants. Yeah, that's for another shorty. So interesting news coming out cast. of uh, Colorado this week. There are two stories here. The first of which is Twisted Pine, maker of uh, one of my favorite spicy beers, the Billy's Chili's, has decided to stop distributing. They were only they will only be distributing their beer out of their pub Uh-oh. from now on. Yeah, so they Sorry, used to. Man. They used to distribute to 13 states. They're currently down to four. And by the end of June, they their distribution will be completely done. So I should just keep this Billy's Chili's I have, the four or five bottles, and they'll just be uh, some kind of artifact at this point. Yeah, pretty much. You they'll might be a collector's put, item. Just send them to the uh, Smithsonian at this point. <laughs> so apparently I, they've decided that 45% of their sales right now comes from their pub, uh, from their brew pub. And they decided... So it's not worth the hassle? Yeah, that it's, it's really not worth the hassle. The owner, Bob Bale, says he basically attributes it, one, to competition. There are so many craft breweries out there, and, and they've been open since 1995. And he said, we have always grown organically and focused more on our customers in the alehouse. The wholesaling end took up a lot of time and capital, and the return wasn't as good as the retail end. So we decided to sink that money into serving the customers who come to visit us. We enjoy having people come in the front door. Hey, so no. they <laughs> That's a weird thing to enjoy. I bet, they, I bet they enjoy their employees coming in the back door, too. <laughs> But uh, they're making an interesting choice, just kind of pulling back. And, you know, they, it's not like they were a relative unknown that wasn't getting any play. True. It's an interesting move to make in an increasingly crowded space. Cannot say I ever reach for any Twisted Pine beers, though, so I don't think I'm really going to miss it. Uh, like I no. say, I've had those Billy's Chilies for like three years now, and I don't ever think about ever drinking them. Yeah, uh, but I'm guessing that they were big enough to, you know... Oh, somebody was drinking. That's just them. my personal. I'm sure other people did drink them, yes, but because they were distributed so far. But I'm just saying, from a personal note, I don't know that I'm necessarily going to shed too many tears over it. No, they, and they said they they will be ramping down their production. Uh, they're going to cut their uh, barrel production from six thousand barrels per year to about three thousand. They may also look at downsizing their equipment, but they do uh, expect to increase their tap room space from twenty five taps to more than that. He didn't really give a number. Uh, he, re- he said, Very "Really specific." Yeah, he really. De- it really depends on um, what they decide to experiment with. But he expects that their staff that they have now will be kind of freed up to try some more exper- experimental beers. So, interesting move. It's, I think that's the first one I've heard of that. Uh, somebody to go from nationally distributed to just containing yourself to a to a brew pub. Yeah, and I think we'll probably see more and more of that. Honestly. The way yeah. that the craft beer boom has happened. All of these beers can't maintain in the marketplace, I don't think. I agree. Uh, I'm not saying that there's not room for craft beer to be a bigger share of the market, but I think there's so many uh, right now, it's going to be it's gonna be tough for them not to do 
more local servicing and not yeah. worry about so much national expansion. It would be kind of nice to have be like a British culture where you have the pub on the corner. Minus sure. minus the corporate takeover of those British pubs where they only serve one um, entity's beers. But right. if, to have a pub in every corner would be awesome. And then to have them making their own beer would be equally awesome. I think it's kind of a cool thing, too. I mean, you know, I, I obviously I love the fact that things like Ninkasi and Bells and stuff are coming here, but at the same time, those guys are massive. I mean, they're probably, I don't know how they compare to Twisted Pine. I would say, I bet you Bells is bigger than Twisted Pine. Um, and, you know, obviously I think Founders is, too. So it's nice to have those coming here, but at the mm. same time, it's kind of cool to say, you know, whoever, somebody in this other state, why don't you let me know what IPA you have, and I'll send you our Mosaic IPA from Community and... You know, it's kind of cool to have the local local difference. Yeah. So, and when you travel around, it's kind of cool. You can say, I had this here and this there, and can't always, it's more of a special thing, I guess, in some mm-hmm. ways. And that's, that's kind of cool to have that special element to it. It is. So they expanded their brew pub in 2010, doubled the size of their tap room in 2014. And as a result, restaurant sales have grown by double digits since then, and uh, now account for 45% of sales, as I said earlier. So... Good luck to Twisted Pine. Hope it works out for you. It sounds let's, like it is going to. Let's drive to Colorado and get some Billy's Chili's beers and eat some loaded, uh, I don't know, some loaded fries or something. And finally, the cra- the Colorado Craft Brewers Guild is breaking up. Apparently, there are a number of big breweries in that uh, in that group that have decided to leave and form a new one called the New Colorado Brewery Guild, Craft Beer Colorado. Mm. Apparently, they have a number of uh, contentious points with uh, with the Craft Beer Guild. The The ones that are leaving, by the way, are of note. Epic Brewing, uh, Oscar Blues, Great Divide, Funk Works, New Belgium, um, and wow. Left Hand. And that's that's not all. I think, there, I think there were 14 total breweries that are leaving the Craft Brewers Guild. And Oscar Blues, for instance, was one of the founders of that guild. But apparently they have some real problems. Uh, one was, uh, this is one of their talking points, we need legislative and regulatory leadership and vision. Historically, the CBG has reacted to changes. We need to be more proactive. There has been for many, this is number two, there's been for many years in the CBG a culture of information control and director behavior that is the opposite of transparency. This is not healthy for our trade association, and we are no longer willing to condone this management style. And number three, with the changing landscapes of craft, where multinational brewers are buying craft brewers and blurring the lines, our bylaws and articles of incorporation don't reflect what be- what we believe to be membership's wishes. So, Sorry, I went blank as soon as you said talking points. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so I, I didn't mean to activate your, your spinning wheels. <laughs> you did. So, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it's just kind of a late-breaking thing today. This is we're recording on Saturday, and... Uh, uh, it's I don't know. It's it's an issue. We're kind of in that flux point with uh, the big guys buying up the little guys, and it's like, is it isn't Epic owned by one of the big guys now? Mm, not I that I know of. Could have that wrong, but I thought they were. I would be surprised if they're leaving this group. That they, yeah, would. I know. I, I, that's why I thought that was strange. But I must be wrong on that. But I, I thought they were for some reason. Uh, I I think you're wrong. Okay. And finally, happy lobster uh, National Lobster Day to everybody out there. I know. You know, we celebrated Maine and uh, all the fine lobster farmers that produce uh, many special forces in our armed forces. So, armed forces and fight through all of the violence that occurs in Maine. All, right. So, happy all national the supernatural occurrences. Happy National death. Lobster Day to all the lobster farmers out there, especially up there in the Northeast and uh, really anywhere in the world where there is a lobster. Happy National Lobster Day. So, coming up, <laughs> we're going to tackle our beer. We're, we're going to tackle one of the beers that old pal Stefan brought to us. Oh, those many months ago. It's the Air Himlig, Himlig IPA. And you're right, I was wrong about Epic. 
There are three distinct alcohol belts in Europe. The vodka belt, the wine belt, and most important to us, the beer belt. These are regions that are closely associated with a particular traditional beverage, rather than what is popular today in those regions. The vodka belt is the north and eastern bloc of countries that consists of the Nordic countries, the Baltic countries, Poland, Belarus, Ukraine, and, no surprise, Russia. These countries produce over 70% of the vodka consumed in the European Union. The wine belt, however, is south of the beer and vodka belts and is comprised of Spain, Portugal, Italy, Hungary, Moldova, Armenia, Georgia, Greece, Albania, Macedonia, Serbia, Montenegro, Croatia, Bulgaria, most of Austria, San Marino, Switzerland, Romania, France, and the Southern Federal District of Russia. And finally, there's the beer belt, which is north of the wine belt and west of the vodka belt. The beer belt consists of the countries of Belgium, Ireland, the United Kingdom, the Netherlands, Denmark, Germany, some parts of Austria, Luxembourg, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Poland, Slovenia, and the central federal district of Russia, and the north and eastern cantons of Switzerland and some French regions. The beer belt is also known as the grape line, which is a rough border that denotes where grapes for wine will and won't grow. North of it, grapes don't grow very well, but hops and barley do, up to a certain latitude. Hops won't grow at all in Scotland. Barley is also sensitive to climate, which is the reason for more rye and oat-based beers out of that region throughout history, because they're more hardy than barley. Interestingly, either because of effort or climate change, there has been a spark of winemaking in South Britain and the Low Countries in the last few years. Interestingly enough, the grape line also denotes the northern border of the Roman Empire, aside from Britain. The Greeks and the Romans both consider beer a barbarian's drink, while wine was considered a civilized person's drink of choice. So cheers to we barbarians. So today we're tackling another beer from Sweden. We haven't gone outside the United States in quite a while, I don't think. And a number of months ago, Stefan from Sweden brought us... Or I can't remember. This might have been the mail. I can't really remember. But at any rate, uh, he brought us a number of beers. Today we're tackling the Air Himlig, or Air Imlig. I, I don't, really don't know how he pronounced that. The Air Imlig Himlig IPA from a brewery called Brewski. That is correct. You have to, you have to speak low whenever you're drinking anything that Stefan brought, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. There's um, there's not a lot. The problem with this brewery, I think we'll find, because traditionally, you know, here shortly, we would transfer out to a uh, pre-recorded segment Transition about out. the history of the brewery. The problem with this brewery is there's not much to know about them. They're, the information about the brewery is scant, even if you go to their, even to look up information about their beer, for instance, goes directly to Untapped. Which works for me, because then I don't have to pre-record a segment. Uh, yeah, it saves you time. But that's true. So there's not much to know about these guys, but I'll just tell you this: from just from what I've been able to find, they are a microbrewery out of Helsingborg, Sweden, started by a guy named Marcus. I'm going to say Hjalmarsson. 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 I know you only know you're Swedish from the Swedish Chef. It's fine. Yeah, yeah Marcus Schmergenfergen. A, he was a former brewer at another apparently highly noted Swedish brewery called High Nose Brewing, Whoa. which was uh, praised by McKellar. Mm. Uh, they specialize in fruit-based beers because apparently they had a hard time getting the best hops through the United States. That sure does sound very elitist, though. Yeah, uh, apparently Hjalmarsson spent some time in the Pacific Northwest and uh, really grew to appreciate those the, the specialty hops up there, but he couldn't get them over there once he moved back. And as a result, decided to rely more on fruit. Yeah, and looking at their other beers, they have several beers that are rated 
rated fairly highly, uh, most of which I don't believe I could probably pronounce. So <laughs> I, I don't know if I even want to try it. No, no you should. Please. No, I don't, I don't know. I, I think we, pro- we could probably skip that. But I will say it does appear that IPAs tend to be one of their featured items, and at least their most reviewed item, for well, sure. The Yeah, their uh, Mango Faber, the their DIPA, double IPA, is their, what, their highest rated? Yeah, well, it's the most reviewed and and highest rated, yeah, it is. The Passion Faber, which I believe is Passion Fruit. The an, an, Anus Faber? An, an, an anus Faber? I don't know what that is. An APA? Anus, yeah, an, an Anus Faber? Anus, anus Faber. Yeah. I'm going to go with Anus Faber. I can do May- Tropic Squeeze, or it's Tropic Sneeze. I can say that one. I'm, I'm guessing tropic it's made out of didn't do very well. Uh, Pango Faber? I don't know what a Pango is. Maybe Tropic Sneeze, you actually eat fruit and then sneeze into it. <laughs> they had a collaboration with Cigar City and uh, All In Brewing. And then they've got a number of others. The Warp Drive, the Air Himlig, which we are tackling today, the More Cowbell, the uh, another co- collaboration with Green Tower called Didn't We Saison, and my favorite name of all, the Mental Glory Hole. <laughs> that is actually their highest rated with which, a 98. Which I'm guessing is where your brain gets a nice hand job. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, maybe it is. I'll guess that as well. I don't know. Uh, yeah, so they, it, again, it's, they're kind of a mysterious brewery. I, I've seen a picture of the guy. There's a lot of pictures of the guy, but there's not a lot of verbiage about the guy. I read a couple interviews. Would uh, I would. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of interviews, but not a lot of history about them in those interviews. It was more like there was one about that guy's, uh, Marcus Hjalmar, his favorite, his top five beers. Uh, there was an interview with him where I got the scant information about you know being a high nose, things like that. So yeah, there's a, lot a few YouTube videos out there too. If you ever want to see any reviews on any of these beers, but he's a he's a big, tall, burly, bearded guy. Yes. So not that unusual uh, as a visible appearance. Beards to the beard and beard story. tend to go together. Yes. So the BJCP standards for an American because this is an American IPA apparently. Uh, aroma should be prominent to intense hop aroma. Should be a color from medium gold to medium reddish copper. Hop flavor should be medium to high. Uh, mouthfeel should be smooth, medium light to medium bodied uses typically a pale malt although with the midwest ipa kind of differs commercial examples include the bell's two-hearted ale as we just talked about the ale smith ipa russian river blind pig stone ipa three floyds off king and the great divide titan ipa man the sierra nevada celebration yeah i mean some of these are yeah there's a number of them these are big uh, dogfish head 60 i mean these are right. big time ipas that and again what we talked about before Drink, drink a dogfish. I know dogfish is East Coast, but drink a dogfish 60-minute IPA, then drink a Centennial IPA from uh, Founders. You will taste a difference for sure, but I don't know if you can really tell the malt difference in those. That'd be interesting to try that. You know, Now that they actually are pointing that out and specifying that, I'd kind of like to do those side by side and say, oh, you know, I can taste the malty difference in these. Yeah, I don't know if it Yeah, we might, though. Russian River Blind Pig, also an excellent one. I don't know if you've ever had that one. Uh, I don't know that I've had that, now. Yeah, very No, because all, all I've ever had from them was the Pliny. Okay. So the Air Hemlig or Air Emlig IPA, the ABV is 5.5%. The IBU is not listed, so we don't know. There is no commercial description for this beer either. I could not find that information. Again, another mysterious beer. Uh, ratings, it gets 3.62. Out American of, IPA-ish. Uh, yes, it's ish. 3.62 and untapped out of uh, 1,600 r- unique reviews. Rate beer is 81 overall, 61 in style, and Beer Advocate had no ratings. So getting right to the beer... The as mysterious as this brewery and this beer is, I feel like this label is very appropriate to the beer. It's, yeah, I would it, agree. It's uh, it's got an orange uh, field to it. It's got the words for the label for the beer, and then it's got this kind of shady, mysterious character that looks vaguely Hamburglar esque in profile. Yes, that's true. Although that's that seems to be an overall kind of brewski theme. It yeah. appears if you look at their labels. 
they got a kind of got the monocle looking guy with a mustache. And, yeah, I don't know. It looks like maybe uh, somebody that could tie a woman onto a train track or something like that. <laughs> Says bees knees and twists his mustache a lot. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, the, the really the shape of the character though, he's all in black with. Uh, this one's a little shadier than their overall theme. Yeah. But yes, he's got some evil eyes. He looks like the Hamburglar. So kind I of mean, like Hamburglar in the dark. Yeah, Hamburglar. Yeah, Hamburglar when he's about to mount you. Hamburglar. Hamburglar when he's about to mount you. When he's about to mount you like a horse. Yeah. When he's uh when he's Cosby'd you and because he he, look, he does look he does have a very evil presence on the bottle so he's co- he's Cosby'd you and is about to burgle your hamburger. What was that first thing? Burgle. He's about to burgle your ham. <laughs> he Cosby'd you. And he's about he to burgle your ham. Weird in the middle of that. Don't worry about it. Just, just move on. We're having a tough time today. So, anyways. The, yeah, and I'm, I'm very interested with this particular IPA um, because of the style being 61 in style. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if it's just doesn't it just doesn't compare to all those other high rated IPAs that we expect to like over here because they are a brewer across the pond trying to mimic a an American style beer. Be kind of interesting to see. What what are your thoughts, Mark? What are you feeling like you're going to get out of this? Um. Well, I don't know. It's it's hard. We we have so many great brewers coming out of that region of Europe, uh, McKellar and uh, Evil Twin. Although he's technically based out of New York, twins, and he's the twin of McKellar. Uh, there's so many great, so much great beer work being done over there. So I'm hoping, especially since they were praised by McKellar, at least when he was at High Nose, I'm hoping that Marcus Harmhar is uh, Harmelson. I don't know. How you say his last name. Any rate, I'm hoping he's got a good product here. I don't know. I really don't know what to expect. Does that style concern you? That style rating? Not really. That seems really low. Uh, oh, as far as the rating goes? Yeah. yeah, it seems really low for sure. Yeah. It do, It is concerning. I guess Although, I don't... Although that might make it better because that lowers my expectation. True. True. And I will note that uh, we are right up on the edge of uh, this beer's uh, best before date. <laughs> we, uh, I forgot that this beer was even in my fridge. And Stefan asked me a couple weeks ago, hey, do you still have those beers that uh, I brought you? And I was like, yes. I got so many beers packed in my beer fridge. I I don't even know what's in there. I I looked in there and I pulled this one out and it was best before 7-5-2016. So we were right on the edge. We're a month ahead. We're We're a month ahead. We're we're close. We're close. So at least we know it's still good. It's still a good IPA. Hey, we reviewed a Bell's that was two years old and it was still good. That's a good point. It's a good point. That is. Thank you. So let's thank get, you for knowing that. What do you what do you feel how do you feel about the label? I, I like it. It's it's very distinct. It really yeah, stands I think out. It's, yeah, I think it's pretty cool. I like the use of that same character across the board too. At yeah. least in the limited exposure I've seen to these to these particular labels. Yeah. It's 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 cool. It's a it's a really cool uh label. Very well done. So all right, let's get right to the beer now. Yeah. It is very in color. It is almost like the color of a mango, definitely unfiltered. Yeah, but yeah. uh very, very, very golden. That is true. Yes, very golden, definitely unfiltered. Uh, has some good carbonation, it appears. Little bitty white head around the outside. Yeah, we're drinking little, these out of tiny, ring. tiny little snifters because it's a it's a tiny bottle. Right. Well, a standard bottle, but splitting well, yeah. between two people. Definitely unfiltered. You can see some sediment on the bottom. It's cool. It keeps a little bit of a head. Yeah, it keeps a, a, a thin little head, uh, but it's a really pretty color. Aroma is definitely American IPA, but subdued. Yes, I mean, but it's there. You can definitely. You can pick up the hops there. Oh yeah, but it's got a. It's definitely got a sweeter. Like if you if you were to just, it's got a mango edge to it too, or some kind of fruity edge. I'm I'm thinking mango and citrus. So if you were to crack open just to your a standard issue uh, American IPA, it's going to be a lot more hop forward than this is. I know, but you do get elements of that. Is all I'm saying. They are trying to mimic that style a bit, and I I do get that. I it's do in, get that aroma from this. 
and unfortunately we don't know because there's no description anywhere of this beer we don't know what like one of his more popular beers i know involved a lot of pineapple so unfortunately we don't know what went into this beer in particular but it smells like mango maybe grapefruity there's and, definitely some kind of citrus. And given that he specializes in fruit-forward beers, uh, it seems appropriate. It seems to line up with his kind of modus operandi for his brewery, his microbrewery. Yes, I would but, agree. But I wouldn't call it, like, it does, it just, if I were to just crack this open blindly, I would never call it a, a West Coast IPA. No, I wouldn't call it a West Coast IPA, but I would say, oh, there are some, well, maybe there's a little no. bit of hop in there. Yeah, I guess we don't we don't know what hops he uses either. So yeah, West Coast IPA is not even the right thing. I would be hesitant to even call this a, an American IPA just by casual whiff alone. Yeah, I would agree with that because it's so much more fruity. It's um, I don't know. You can definitely detect hops. You can get the hop bite up there. I don't know. It's so hard to classify. It's so hard to nail down. But I'll to t- me, it's mango and citrus aroma. I mean, that, that's probably what I would that's probably what I would say about the aroma. It does have a strong uh, malt aroma to it as well. But I think that's coming out. It's that's what's really bringing the fruit forward to that, right? All right, taste. All right, that's an interesting flavor. That is an interesting. It's flavor. It's very fruit forward, and even more so than any of the Ballast Point fruit beers that you know have been put out lately. The, wow, the yeah. whole rainbow. Yeah, that is. That, that definitely is. Like, if you were to compare this, if you want to go just based on fruit flavors alone, right? I've been very disappointed by the entire Sculpin series. Uh, not the original Sculpin, but all the fruit Sculpins, I haven't been impressed at all. Uh, like the pineapple Sculpin, I mean, there's a whiff of pineapple. If you told me there's pineapple in there, okay, I can see the pineapple. But if I just drank it, I'd, I'd be hard-pressed to say there's pineapple. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, I, I don't really think, uh, I don't think any of the Sculpin variants have done too good of a job of giving you too much of what's supposed to be there, at least. I, I'm not saying it's not there at all, but it's not very prevalent. This, I think, definitely is a lot more prevalent. Yeah, absolutely. I think this does a good job of lining up with their their core tenets and how they brew. Uh, now, as an IPA, I don't know about that. I, I mean, I kind of am starting to see Rate Beer's lower score within style uh, because it would never strike me as an IPA. No, I agree. I don't. I don't, I don't taste the IPA at all. Which, I don't. I don't really even taste hops, to be honest with you. Barely. I mean, it's the the fruitiness is very prevalent. It's vi- it's definitely more fruit forward, and maybe that explains also. You know, typically IPAs don't last a long time. I mean, typically what three to six months, maybe at six months as the, at the outstretch here, and we're going on about twelve months. Um, so maybe that explains why this beer lasts longer. Also, maybe why it survived better than it should have. Yeah, maybe so. That's true. But I mean, it is within the Best Buy date. Yes, that's true. It's got a little bit of bite to it, and I guess that's where maybe you could call it an IPA. It is. It definitely has more of a bite than, say, a Hefeweizen would, or sure. Uh, which is this beer reminds me more of a of a Weizen than it does an IPA, but it's got more of a bite than one would expect with those beers. I mean, which you have virtually no bite at all, if ever. So, I, I did find one vague um, one vague description of this, which I thought was kind of amusing. Uh, it says it's supposed to have Hop, aromatic flavor with noticeable bitterness, hints of passion fruit, pineapple, honey, and grapefruit. Serve it around 10 degrees Celsius to dishes of lamb and beef or as a social drunk. So <laughs> I don't know exactly what that means at the end, but those are your elements there. Honey, uh, pineapple, grapefruit. Yeah. I, don't, I don't get much honey, uh, but I do get 
I do get a little grapefruit. I definitely get some pineapple in there. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely fruit forward. And I'll, I'll tell you this, it's a very smooth drinking beer. Uh, it's not overly hoppy at all, as we've said, and it's very, it's just very, very smooth overall. It's got a great mouthfeel. It's very silky, uh, very comforting to my tongue. Light sweetness, medium bitterness, I would say. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say medium bitterness. I would say very light bitterness. Ah, well, we're going to flip those, I guess, for, for my palate. I think it's got some medium bitterness. It's not bad, but I, I can definitely taste it in there. But, uh, mouthfeel wise, it's very, very soft and very smooth on the palate. It's an easy gliding beer down my throat. Yeah, it's definitely smooth. No doubt about it. So, ratings. Ratings. Why don't you take it off? Lead off. Just take that. it off? Take it off. Take, take it off, baby. <laughs> well, like I said, going into this, I didn't have exceptionally high... I didn't have exceptionally high uh, expectations. You know, I, overall, 81 is not bad. But with 61 in style, I figured, well, this isn't going to compare to these other IPAs that we list when we do the BJCP IPA list. I believe I was correct in that, that it doesn't compare to those. And it's not necessarily because it's a bad beer. It just doesn't compare to those because it doesn't have the same IPA flair that those do for sure. Saying that, I know we're drinking this a little bit late, but it is still by the best buy date. And so I'm going to say we're still supposed we're getting every bit of character that we're supposed to be getting from it at this point. So saying that, I don't think it has enough hoppy flavor to it to really be classified too much as an IPA. It has some hops, and maybe it's a lot of hop. It's probably a lot of hop for a lot of Euro beers, honestly, but they're trying to mimic an American IPA, so I have to compare it to that. On that front, I don't think this quite this quite goes uh, far enough and doesn't quite satisfy that particular element of classifying itself as an American IPA. As a standalone beer, and as it is, I think it's I think it's a pretty good balanced beer. It's got it's got some fruit in it that's that's a nice touch and it is different than a lot of American IPAs. I know a lot of them don't try to do that, but even the ones that do, like we mentioned Sculpin, I think this delivers better on that front. I would like a little more I like a little more notable hop flavor out of it to call it an American IPA. So overall impression of it though, even taking out the elements of sixty one and style, saying it doesn't math doesn't match the style. I thought as a beer itself, just as a standalone experiment, it's not bad. It's it's a drinkable beer. You could drink a few of these beers pretty quickly, I would think, and they would go down smooth and you wouldn't have any complaints about it. That being said, I don't think that there's enough about it that is notable that I would just say, man, I really got to grab. I really got to grab one of these. I really want that that fruity IPA I had that time. It's not to say it's bad, but I don't think it really stands out too much either for me. So I'm going to have to go ahead and give it a, I'm going to give it a 3.25, just kind of a mid range, little, a little above mid, but not anything spectacular for me. So for me, I think I agree with what you said is it's not going far enough. If you're going to call yourself an IPA, I think you have to hop more strongly than he did here. I, I appreciate what they're trying to do there. He's trying to bring a little bit of united states beer culture or the beer genre over to europe i realized that they you know britain started the ipa fine whatever but we've been more hop hop strong in this country and i think that's kind of what's missing here is i think it's a i think i actually like this beer as a standalone beer it's a good beer it kind of reminds me and nobody else outside Dallas will understand this but it kind of reminds me of the Kolsch from oak highlands called guava good except i think even there, I think that the Guava Good is a little bit better of a beer. But this is a great summer beer. It's smooth. It's highly drinkable. 
But as an IPA, it just doesn't succeed. It's not strong enough in the hops to really be called an IPA, in my opinion. And it's very, very fruit forward. Now, where, where I think they could improve is to be more hop forward than they have been. And I think they can make a better Sculpin than Ballast Point is even making. Because I think this is kind of what the fruity flavor that I would think that Ballast Point, Ballast Point is striving for, but they're not achieving. Well, not the not the standard Sculpin, but the No, no, the I mean, the, sorry, yeah. the, the, the pineapple, the watermelon, the... Right. Um, uh, the grapefruit sculpin. Um, I haven't had the habanero, but whatever. Uh, the fruit sculpins. I think that's kind of what Ballast Point wants, but they're not achieving. And I think that Brewski here has almost achieved what Ballast Point wants, if that makes sense. So I think it's a really good beer. I think it's a highly drinkable beer. But as an IPA, ah, I would I would almost call it if I would take it on a casual drink. I would almost say it's a it's a Vizen in some some shape or form or factor. But as an IPA, it doesn't really work. But it's a good beer. So because of the kind of failing within the style, which totally lines up with Ray Beer, uh, 3.25. Giving us a final rating of 3.25. I just want to point out before you get into all that that um, the Epic Brewing mix-up that I had earlier, I was mixing them up with Elysium. Ah. So... You know, my e-breweries, I got them mixed up. I apologize. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for all your support. Thank you for uh, supporting Dustin and all his mess-ups. Thanks to Stefan for sending this beer. I struggle, but I try, you know. If you would do us a favor, leave us a review on iTunes. It does uh, help us out a lot. Leave us a rating, and if you would, uh, also, leave us a review. We'd appreciate it. Check us out on all the social networks, Tumblr, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Untapped, or BrewBloods, and all those platforms. If you have any feedback, you can email us at brewbloodsshow at gmail.com. You can go to reddit, reddit.com slash r slash brewbloods, or you can call us 469-573-BEER. That's 469-573-2337. If you have any news stories, please send them our way, just like Nikki Bai does uh, on occasion. We would uh, we don't always see we, the most important stories out there, although we try it. We'd we, love a voicemail, too. Yeah, voicemails would be awesome. You know, one I would request, I'm going to throw that out here, uh, out here on the actual episode, is I'd like Stefan to call in and give a review of KBS. I saw him flaunting the fact that he drank one of them, but I never saw him say if he liked it or not. That's true. Uh, he, did, he did flaunt that. He had apparently an unlimited supply of them over in Sweden that they sent yes. over there. He could have as many as he wanted, so I never heard from him either. He may have put it out there. I just didn't see it. But He didn't put it on his Facebook post about it, so yeah, let's go ahead and use the call-in number for that. That'd be great. Yeah, again, we if, or just send us an email. If anybody voice, ever wants to send us a review out there of a minute or less, we'll, and we'll definitely include it in the show of some beer you enjoy or you don't like. Just don't be uh, overly harsh about that uh, in that review. Don't be just don't just trash a beer just because just because you don't like the brewery or the beer. But at any rate, uh, we'll always take those. So you can email that I to I mean us. that's for us to do. Yeah, exactly. You can email us at brewbloodshow at gmail.com or you can call that review in at 469-573-2337. All right, we'll see you guys next week for episode fifty six for Dustin and Mark. For Mark I'm Dustin. Probst. <laughs>